Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? We're back. I don't know what day it is. It's way too cold here in England. Murph, we're not in the studio. You've been away, felt some family time was in order, and I gave it to you. I signed your release form, and you're at home. But you're here. How you doing, big man? Yeah, thanks for letting me test uh, free agency. You know, I worked out at a couple of teams and they they checked me out and uh, they liked what they saw, but we couldn't come to a financial arrangement. Um, it's a good thing you put the tag on me, it put people off. So I am back. Uh, this, ref- this restrictive free agent is still in the building and will be for a long time to come, it looks like. So uh, it's all good, man. It's... Uh, uh, again, I don't have the displeasure of working outside, so um, you get the perks of it in the summer and you work on your tan for free. But, you know, when it's weather <laughs> like this, you know, you, that's that's the price you've got to pay to have that, that beautiful tan of yours between the months of May and September. So um, just think of it now as this is like paying off your debt, um, whether it's those of us that are pasty and sit in an office all day. <laughs> um, although, to be fair, I got out today, I got some sun and went to... Uh, one new change. I sat on the roof, had my lunch up there. It was beautiful. I enjoyed it. So Nice. Nice. Right. Well, I'm not the only one cold today. Today's guest has mentioned before we started recording that he is also cold. So why don't we very bring cold. him today? Very, very cold. <laughs> in fact, I bet he's probably colder than me. So uh, 
Yeah, there you go. You heard him. His name's Jordan McNamara. Jordan is author of the analytics of Dynasty. There's a whole lot of Dynasty chatting here, Rush Nation, so get ready. He's the contributor at UTH Dynasty and host of the Analytics of Dynasty podcast. Jordan, welcome to Five Yard Rush, man. How you doing? I'm um, I'm great. It's good to be here. I got a I, so quick story. I uh, my golf my golf partner at the course that I play at. Uh, he has a local radio show, so I went on his radio show today, and now I'm on uh, I'm on talking on a computer to people across the ocean. So it's uh, it's crazy how small this world can be. I know it's it's awesome. That's what I love about doing these things. You talk to people, and you talk to people. I mean, for us, it's great because we talk to guys in America all the time. So yeah. Um, but it's it's awesome. You've got a, a really big week uh, this week coming out. Um, why don't we uh, give a little tease now at the start of the podcast why this is such a big week for you? Yeah, it's the release of my 2020 edition of the Analytics of Dynasty. Uh, this is the second time around for me in terms of releasing a dynasty strategy book. I did one in 2019. Uh, and this 2020 edition, it's a little bit different in terms of its focus. It's much more focused on Superflex, um, dynasty strategy generally, but Superflex, um, a lot of different uh, <clears throat> rates on player hits and uh, how to measure players hit and the likelihood that they hit. Uh, and once players hit how they, how they hit, you know, how dense their hit is. It's something I looked at a lot of. Um, and so there's that. And then I, I looked at a lot of different league constructs and just did a lot of different research in terms of uh, what picks are worth and, and how important it is to uh, your record is to a championship and a lot of those different things. And, I also studied some stuff with startup drafts, and I think I found a lot of a lot of things that are contrarian to what is, uh, you know, commonly perceived on the market in in the dynasty marketplace. So I think there's a lot of value there uh, with all with all of those findings, and um, yeah, it's a it's a it's f- fun for it to finally be out because it was just me in a, in my basement here uh, working on it, and now now it's out and it's into the public. So that's it's a good feeling. That's amazing. Well, um, if you don't mind me asking, how long did it take you to, to put together? <laughs> um, so I wrote the Analytics of Dynasty in 2019, and it took me about a year. Uh, or sorry, I, I started in 2018, the first one. Um, and it took me about a year's worth of research. I started researching it in like January and February, and I didn't intend to write a book at all. I was doing DFS research actually. And then uh, I just found, you know, I come from a dynasty background of that's what I like to do for fantasy, but I wanted to get into DFS. So I was doing all this DFS research and I was like, this is totally applicable to dynasty. And I just started writing down some of the findings. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, it turned into like 40 pages of notes. And I was like, there's a book here. Um, and so I wrote that and it took me like a year to do, and I didn't anticipate really writing another one. Um, I just, I thought it was going to be a one-off thing. And then uh, after I released it, I just kept looking at different questions and different things came up um, and, and different you know, subscribers had different questions about different things. So I just kept looking at the, the data. And then by about May, I was like, I'm going to do it again. So it probably took me, it, it probably took me about six to eight months, I would say, to actually write it. Um, and, and a lot of that is just getting together the data and those sorts of things. Um, and now really the the goal for me is to have a more streamlined process and all that, all the data side of it. That's uh, There's so much stuff I think Dynasty, the thing I found most difficult about Dynasty is playing with people who are so used to playing redraft and the fact mm-hmm. that they're so different in game type. But because, especially over here as well, people are starting to do both at the same time. They almost consider them to be the same thing. So when it comes to trading picks and pick value and player age and stuff, I think people are 
a bit too caught up on playing redraft for their dynasty values, which is something we need to work on. I know, especially in in England and, and Great Britain on working out what people perceive value as. Because I think there's a lot of people, especially myself, I, you get offered a trade and there'll be a value, a draft pick in there. And I'm thinking, doesn't I don't know if that sounds right. Is it right? Am I Where am I on this value? Am I hugely overrating the, the 101 or the, the 15? Or how much is a third round pick worth even? Something like that. Yeah, no, those are great questions. And actually, I, I so I, I had that issue or question when I wrote the first book. And I said, you know, what's can we actually come up with some sort of conversion chart? You know how they have the, the NFL draft charts in terms of, you know, what the tr- picks are worth and trades and stuff. I just said, I wonder if we could do something with that for, for dynasty. And so I went through and I actually, um, the basis of all of my work, a lot of my work is uh, I have at this point now 11 years of ADP data. And what I was able to do was go through and actually look at the, where rookies fell in their draft in, in terms of their rookie drafts and what that corresponded to in their, in the startup drafts in their rookie season. So you can get a, you know, Hey, this person was, you know, uh, the one Oh five pick in a, in a rookie draft, but they were going, you know, 50 overall in a startup or something like that. And you can sort of from that, all of that data and hundreds of players, you can sort of put it together and you get, I got a chart. I just ran a regression on it and I got a chart and I actually have it in the book. I have it in both of them actually, um, because I thought it was pretty valuable, but you can uh, just get, you know, Hey, uh, you know, pick one twelve. you know, the last pick in the first round of a 12 team league and a rookie draft on average, that's about the hundredth pick in a startup draft. Um, and so I have a lot of that stuff. And then I have a lot of like different things that I put in the book about what you can expect basically in terms of draft NFL draft pedigree, which is so important to dynasty, um, what you can expect in terms of pedigree at different points in the draft. So I tried to, I tried to really delve into that and accomplish those sorts of things with the, with the book. And so you can have an idea, you might not necessarily, you know, if you're making a trade now or you're making the trade a year out before you use the pick, you might not necessarily know who the player is, but you'll know what type of player you can expect at that valuation. So um, it's a, that's a great, that's a, a, a one of the key changes in terms of going over to dynasty from redraft. And I think the stuff I have in the book is helpful towards that end. Where, where can I get the book? I know we normally save that sort of thing to the end of the podcast, but why don't you just tell everyone now where you can pick a copy up? Yeah, you can go to analytics of dynasty.com slash shop. The 2020 edition of the book is uh, on sale now for $30. It's immediate download. So it comes in a PDF form. Uh, you'll get a link to uh, download on Dropbox. Go ahead, download it and you can start reading right now. Um, the 20. 20- 19 edition. So if you're newer to Dynasty, I'd probably recommend starting with the 2019 edition. Um, there's not a ton of overlap in terms of in terms of the books. I think they're they hit on similar threads and similar types of strategies. I come to a lot of the same conclusions. It's just looking at it a little bit differently. I think the 2019 edition, if you're brand new to Dynasty, I would start there. And that's on sale at analyticsdynasty.com slash shop for twenty dollars. Well, I definitely need to get myself a copy because there's a few trades been sent my way and I was just thinking, mm, uh, I just have no idea. So, yeah. So come on then. Who's your NFL team and why do you support them? Uh, I'm I'm from upstate New York, so I'm a I'm a Bills fan, um, long suffering Bills fan. Uh, you know the the recent success has been pretty nice in terms of them getting to the playoffs twice in the last three years, but it's been a long it's been a long suffer since the early '90s when I don't really remember much what was happening. <laughs> oh, I'm a, I'm a week late with my hat. I had my uh, crucial catch Bills hat on last week, so ah yeah, I I tend to bounce around the league with my headwear. Um, 
if you are a member of Rush Nation, you know that for sure. <laughs> yes, for sure. But we we are both um, we're both fans of like sub fans of the Bills, so we both adopted them this year. Um, we both are they're very public and vocal in our support of Josh Allen. Yeah, I think he's a really great. Um, Listen, I know skills wise, and you can talk about the fundamentals and absolutely everything, right? But at the end of the day, what I love about him is his do or die attitude. I think if if you had to pick a handful of players who get the absolute maximum out of them themselves, their body, their their talent, he absolutely doesn't leave anything on the field. And and I think that's what I love about him as a player because I would rather have arguably not the most talented player in the world but somebody who is going to literally die for the cause then have somebody who uh has all the talent but it's very sketchy whether or not they turn it on or not yeah you can he he always plays so hard and almost to to a reckless degree he plays maybe a little too recklessly at times um but he's it's funny because the i wasn't a huge fan of him coming out of college and i sort of came all the way back around on him just because he was a value in rookie drafts. Like it was, I wasn't a fan, but the, at the cost, I was like, I got, I have to be in at the cost. Uh, and so I, it's just his, the, when you watch his teammates, like he'll take a shot or he'll take a, like a semi late hit. And it's like a caravan of his teammates, like to go protect him. And it's just, uh, you watch, you sort of watch that and everyone's, you know, I always joke that, if Josh Allen takes a late hit, it's they have a bounty on the first person to uh, get a personal foul responding to the thing. So, um, but yeah, it's he's uh, he's great, and I think he's a he's a good he's a good upstate New York fit too. Yeah, yeah, uh, big big fan of his. And do you know what I like about the Bills? Just again, that their whole team ethos, and they are living proof that coaching matters in the NFL. Because you look at the 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 fifty two man roster and. You know, there's some fantastic players in the Tredavious White had an absolute career season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you have there were a few good players in in that team, but if you were to draw up the rosters of the the 52 or of the 32 NFL teams, you'd probably put the Bills without being horrible, probably around about 20th in terms of skill from from and depth from one to 52. But Sean McDermott has just instilled the philosophy. You saw this in the eight and eight season, which they went to the playoffs. Um, you saw a little bit last season when they went down with injuries and they were bringing in seventh round draft picks to uh, to play and play hard and um, and do really well. And then this season, obviously, you've you've really seen it come through. You know, they were never really out of games; they never got blown out. Um, Allen needs a few more weapons. Mm-hmm. Probably needs another year in that offense uh, in terms of Beasley. Uh, you know, John Brown had a good year, tailed off at the end, but good year singletree needs another year just to you know get get in and, and really muster it but you know boy the, again the bills they leave everything on the field you, you you know you've been in a battle um when you when you play the buffalo bills and that's as a fan of the team you must really enjoy that because i i'm a tampa bay buccaneers fan so um i mean listen it's a roller coaster right it goes like this you get some great weeks and you get some bad weeks but you you see the same mistakes and it's really frustrating to see when you see just not just your quarterback but you know wide receivers not completing routes and your cornerbacks just playing zone instead of playing man and you know the, the cover two falling apart and, and everything so um it must be satisfying at least that although it didn't end in triumph via Super Bowl appearance, it was still a playoff appearance. It's a step forward from 
the five six win season last season and the nucleus of a really good team with great coaching and great foundation is there it's now just adding to it yeah it was a heartbreaking way to lose the game uh lose their their wild card game i mean i just it was it was tough to um it was tough to sort of watch it and and everything that was happening and i I cover the uh, bills for footballguys.com and I do game recaps every Sunday night. And, uh, and I think it was a Saturday night game, but I had to come and write it up and I, I just waited as long as I could because I didn't want to rewatch it. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and for me coming from, you know, an analytics perspective on some of these things, they, Sean McDermott sort of drove me crazy at the beginning of his career because he wouldn't go for it on fourth down. He would do, you know, suboptimal decision-making things and, and that sort of capture upside as a team. They were uh, amongst the most aggressive teams on fourth down, going forward on fourth down, and they did some pretty uh, aggressive analytics things this year. And, you know, you, you can see that because their record, in, you know, their record improved. And, you know, I think going forward on fourth down uh, as, as much as they did, you know, if you just sort of add up the percentages, it probably created a win, if not more, over the course of the season. And, you know, I, I like to see teams both play hard and make a decision. So it's it's a fun combination uh, with their roster. Yeah, for sure. I love it because we we don't have many Buffalo Bills fans in England. I haven't met too many. I don't know about you, Stocks. But nope. I always enjoy talking to them when we come across them in, in Walker Life. So, so that's good. Um, in terms of you obviously have, you know, written a book, you, you write for uh, football guys, you doing quite a bit of uh, uh, analytics work. What would you say uh, to listeners who have a passion, whether it's fantasy football or football itself or soccer or model train sets or skiing? Um, <laughs> what, what would you give them? Uh, what advice would you give them to, you know, get on their way about doing something about turning that hobby and passion into a longer term project and, and maybe even doing it for a living? That's a great question. I, uh, I get that a, a semi-frequently in terms of, Hey, you know, I want to start a podcast and I always tell people like, do it, um, you know, do what you want to do. And, um, you know, I dedicated my book to my daughter and uh, with the message to, uh, you know, live your dreams. And, um, and this is something I've, I've played fantasy football for since I was like 10 years old and, you know, I've just always loved fantasy football. And relatively recently I was able to sort of, um, start doing work at UTH dynasty. And then I'm now I'm, still doing that, but I'm doing some of my own stuff too. And, uh, you know, it's, no one will hand this to you and no one will hand it to you in life. If you, you have to kind of go out and do, you know, make your way. And, um, you know, so that's, that's just how I did it. I just did it through some hard work and just, you know, making, making some friends, the people I didn't know and they, they helped me out and have been, I'm really grateful for them in terms of, you know, Chad Parsons at UTH has, has been a, an immense help to me. Um, yeah. And, you know, just working, working hard. And I would say if you can take a little bit different, the, like the fantasy football market in particular is very, it's saturated. Like there's a lot of people uh, talking about it, writing about it and, and covering it. If you can, if you can sort of specialize in something, and, and take a little bit different of a focus on it. I think that's a great way to go about it. So especially if it's something that you like, like I love studying running backs. So every, every week during the NFL season, we recorded two hour podcasts, well, two one hour podcasts on the running back situations in the NFL, AFC and NFC. 
And that's our thing. We call it running back roundup. That's our thing. And every Tuesday night I can get, get up and get ready for that because I just, you know, that's a, that's something that I just love to do. And so we found a niche with that. And, um, you know, and then with my broader analytic dynasty stuff, it's just analytics and taking a different look at things. And I think if you, if you're willing to do those sorts of things, you can stick out. Yeah. I, we, we always say that we try to give you the information to use to make your own decisions. Like don't, don't follow exactly what we're saying. We're just trying to arm you with the best information we can. And it goes, I think it goes for me and Murph without saying that we enjoy making the information for people to take on board if they want to, you know, it's not, we're not saying you must start Devin Singletary. There you go. There's a bill for you that you've got to start him this week. We're saying we think he's a good start this week, but, there might be other options you have and, and there might not be. So if you can make that choice, here's the information you might need to do so. Yeah. We're very honest about what we do with our teams. And we'll say, you know, if this is me, I'm starting him. Uh, and these are the reasons why. And it, it's out there for people to make the case and to argue with us and the people that don't want to make that play, you know, it's your team, it's your process. We don't pick your team for you. We don't pick you know, and look at your lineups on a Sunday. The, the goal is that, you know, we run multiple podcasts a week through the season to advise you on who we think the best waiver wire pickups are, depending on what you need. And we always set the threshold very low, so 30% ownership and under, um, because there's nothing worse than reading a waiver wire column and you're like, oh, go pick up Devin Singletree. He's 74% owned. And you're like, great. So in almost every league I'm in, he's not available. Right. <laughs> that, that, that is, that is basically five minutes of my life. I'm not going to get back Whether it's 30% owned or under. We feel like, okay, in very good leagues with good players, good owners, those players might not be available and you have to accept that it's 30%. But for the average Joe who listens, chances are those players are probably going to be available. Um, and that's how we try and set our thresholds just to be a, a little bit different, but I like the, what you say about a specialism and, I don't know if we necessarily have one yet. I think we're trying to carve a market here in the UK uh, for fantasy football players. We're, I'd say we're probably about five to 10 years behind. And I don't mean that in a really negative way. I mean that the the data and analytics side is cut. All the information comes from the US. Mm-hmm. It's coming from people like yourself, um, people like the fantasy footballers, people like fantasy pros, um, the football guys, although, you know, um, and there's some brilliant new people, uh, you know, JJ Zacharyson, he's not really new. Dwayne McFarlane, for example, these mm-hmm. are all guys coming through that uh, have got louder voices than ever and putting together really good pieces of information. But I think we're trying to build a good base of players here in the UK to compete and and win titles, um, not just here in the UK, but money leagues and compete internationally and, and do well. And that that's sort of where we have our niche is that. But uh, I think at some point we'll probably veer off into some form of specialism once once we've sort of grown the market uh, a little bit more here we've got more listeners and uh the, there's more uk players and, and luckily there's more and more people every year the nfl is just growing and booming over here yeah no it's awesome i mean with the i would imagine the london games help you guys right in terms of driving up interest and that stuff yeah yeah, yeah i mean it is it, it's absolutely huge uh, in terms of people watching the nfl here i think the the biggest problem with fantasy football is in terms of um, uptake is a lot of people go and play the NFL.com or the Yahoo or the ESPN leagues that are just random leagues because they don't have 12 mates who can play. 
So they they end up joining these these leagues that get abandoned and it's kind of non-competitive and then everyone just quits, right? So um, the engaging league aspect is something I think is a is a big challenge and there's some really good people in the UK. Neil Elliott uh, is one. He runs a couple of Facebook groups. Uh, Jack Humphrey is another one um, who mm-hmm. runs a lot of leagues. And then ourselves, you know, we we put on we put eleven listener leagues on last year and we had a team in each one um, this mm-hmm. year. 20 30 i don't know how however many that we can we'll, we'll put on as many as there are so that we can build engaging leagues and engaging community and hopefully every year it grows but um if we had the um we had the md of nfl uk on and i put the question to him about what are they doing to try and build fantasy more and, and they admit they need to do more because it doesn't have that same uh draw as the games itself and again i I think that's where the five years behind is because we don't have big communities of of players playing. It's getting bigger and it's worse in the year two thousand. Um yeah. you know, so I've been playing twenty years. But there aren't that many people in the UK that have been playing fantasy football uh, twenty years. So that's uh, that's where we've got to go in order to I love our talent, but that's where we get people like you in who are, are smarter than us to uh point the way and uh, and share your knowledge because when we were talking is dynasty here is huge dynasty here i think is almost as big as, as redraft especially last season i saw so many people desperate to start dynasty leagues so we've got a lot of dynasty leagues that are in their infancy first year second year i don't know many dynasties that have gone beyond three years um from people who i know that have been playing so it's very much the the in thing at the moment is, is dynasty leagues so um before we get into that i just want to know a little bit about your 2019 fantasy season in terms of how it went how many leagues you played in how many titles you got I was bad. Um, <laughs> um, I, I I took a absolute bath in weeks week fourteen. I got a lot of teams into the playoffs, didn't get a lot of buys, and then just took a pounding in week fourteen, uh, which would have been the first week of the reg of the fantasy playoffs. Um, I think I lost. I, I was like one in nine or some something like that. And I sort of I did the the math on it. It was like a insanely low odds of that actually happening uh, was was the outcome so it just didn't really break right for me um and I I was just injured throughout the season like I had I mean I had a team with coming in and it's the I talk about this in the book is I had a team you can't necessarily predict how good your teams are going to be even though we can try but I had a team with you know Saquon Barkley Joe Mixon Alvin Kamara um Devontae Adams Juju Smith-Schuster and um, Evan Ingram and that team didn't make the playoffs. Now, if you would have told me coming into the season, Carry uh, Johnson was also in there too. I mean, coming into the season, <clears throat> I would have bet a pretty healthy amount of money that I would have made the playoffs, uh, and I would have, I would have wagered that I probably would have been a buy, you know. And and it's just things went, everything went poorly. And those are all players that I have a lot of exposure to on my team. So I just, I sort of ran into, I ran into a little bit of an injury buzzsaw and then I sort of, I just ran into a brick wall in week 14. I just got a lot of bad variants. So, um, but I, I had, a, I think I had two championships, um, you know, and I, I, um, the, then the, actually both of them were really gratifying in terms of the leagues I won them in. So um, I would say it's, it was, you know, a, a break even year. It wasn't a great year, but um, I have myself, I think, set up pretty well for 2020. When you, I was just going to move on to on to setting your teams up and stuff. What this isn't a question that's in the doc; it's just something that's came to me. What 
age do you think you should start looking forward for replacements for players? So if you just mentioned Devante Adams, for instance, mm-hmm. how far in advance do you think you should be looking to replace him on your roster or someone of his skill set? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. Um, I so I I looked into that a little bit in Analytics Dynasty One. I did a big long chapter on um, on age and sort of how it works, and I think it's it's different. It is different depending on what position you're looking at and the NFL draft pedigree of the player. So what you typically see is like elite wide receivers, so really highly drafted NFL wide receivers. Um, they tend to be the guys that are really young and the guys that are really old. So they sort of, those elite picks tend to populate both sides of the age, the age curve. Uh, they play for a long time and they tend to be really good. Um, the guys that are, you know, second and third rounders, there's less and less sort of as they go on. Um, and if you sort of look at like, I was able to sort of go through and at each different uh, year, I would just take the average uh, NFL draft pedigree of, of the, of the, uh, player seasons at that year so take all the 34 year old wide receivers and look at you know what what nfl draft pick they were for example and you just you just see that as as you sort of get past 30 and 31 it really becomes just the elites that continue to play so it was jordy nelson was a good example of this as a third round guy he was really elite in his day but sort of hit that curve right where almost like right where you would expect it to hit it like 31 32 um, and dwindled off. Whereas you see guys like Julio and, and Larry Fitzgerald, uh, those really high picks, they're going to continue to sort of play. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's always a question of cost on those guys. Um, running back that happens earlier, um, tight end and quarterback, I'm willing to wait on them going longer. So, you know, quarterbacks into their mid thirties are fine. Like quarterbacks into their their later thirties, they as long as they're still playing, they're still productive. You don't really see a drop in their production per se. You see, um, you know, and as players age, the players that keep continuing to play are usually capable of keeping continuing to play. You don't necessarily see a drop in their production. What you see is a a winnowing out of their uh, of the players that populate the age. Um, you know, it's a, it's a reduction in players, not necessarily a, a steep reduction in in productivity. So um, I think it's a, it's a fluctuating scale a little bit in terms of what, what type of player and what type of position you're looking at. But generally speaking, if you're, if you have elite um, pedigree wide receivers, for example, they can play into their mid thirties, just fine. Um, At running back, you know, if you're getting 27, 28 and that person is still drawn a heavy, a a good cost. I'm not sure there's many of those guys going on right now in the NFL, but like 27, 28, that's a, time where you want to sort of transition but you see a guy like Le'Veon Bell he's already he's at that age and he is uh, dropped in cost pretty significantly um, you sort of have to you have to be cognizant of guys in that in that age range because once they start to drop in cost they they rarely come back interesting okay yeah uh, so on that basis do you think Lev Bell should be a sell high for what you could get for him right now yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I've thought a lot about this and I've been, I have him in a spot um, that I'm looking to try and trade him. And I mean, if you sort of look at, I think he's like in the fifties he's like a fourth round startup pick right now. Um, like late forties or somewhere in the fifties, something like that. So fourth, fifth round. Um, 
and that would sort of fall about in the mid first round of rookie drafts historically. You know, I was talking to there's that conversion chart that I had in the book I was talking about earlier. Like that would fall in about, you know, 105, 106, 107 range, that type of range of the of rookie drafts, that that um, startup pick. And he's not drawing that. So, uh, you know, can you move up with him? I haven't been able to do it yet. You know, use a use Le'Veon Bell in a later first round pick for an earlier first round pick, you know, something in the 102, 103, 104 type range. You could try that, but I haven't had any success. I, I wonder if he's going to be one of these players that come rookie draft time, if he's going to be worth like a second round rookie pick valuation. I think at, at that cost, I think I'm almost in. So um, he's one that his, his startup draft cost right now and his rookie draft costs are totally out of whack in terms of what you can, what you can trade for him. So he's a lot more expensive in, in startup drafts than he is in the comparative rookie market. So um, I'm probably not selling high right now at this point, I think I'm going to hold. And honestly, like you look at, I mean, he averaged over 20 touches a game last year and, Granted, things didn't go well for him, but if you get a running back that's going to average 20 touches a game, I mean, he finishes running back 16. People are throwing dirt on his grave. Uh, he finishes running back 16. That's plenty That's plenty uh, serviceable. And, uh, you know, if he's going to, you know, I think there's a decent shot he does that again. I think it's probably more likely than not that he finishes in top 24 back when you sort of compare that into uh, what the second round of rookie drafts is. Like, that's uh, that's a pretty good those are pretty good odds for that comparative pick. So, um, you know, it's, it's a question of cost. I haven't seen him be that expensive, so I'm probably not selling him right now just because I don't think you're going to, I think you almost have, you're bailing at this point if you sell him. I agree. I think for me, if I had, I've got left out on the dynasty team, I'm actually going to hold him. I'm going to wait until what he does first couple of weeks of the season. And then more importantly, I'm going to try and wait until somebody loses a star running back that's competing. And if I've got a team that isn't competing, um, that's when I'm cashing in for a 2021 first round pick. Because I think that's when you'll get your highest rate of return or I'm going to take him for rookies. Um, for someone who's desperate for that kind of production and buys into the left bell, he's back round. You know, he's had two, <laughs> three great weeks. You're gambling a bit there, but I, th- I think you're right. I th- the value's not there to trade him now. You might as well hold. Because his value's not going to get much worse, especially if you're not getting a first round pick for him. So, why would you trade him unless you're going to get uh, the you know unless you get some young pieces in return and someone needs a running back? I mean that's I think the only time you can really get anything for him. So yeah, I'd, I'd sit and hold him. Um, the one I, I I tell you the player who I'm desperate to try and get rid of my <laughs> dynasty teams is uh, I took David Montgomery in in one team and I'm desperately trying to get rid of him. Because, because I'm just hoping that someone buys into the hype from last year and hopes that it happens. But that's one I, I, I'm struggling to get rid of right now. So on that then, with, say, rookies that perhaps haven't had the best year one, that you're, uh, you know, Dave Montgomery is one we mentioned. There might be people that are a bit scared of, say, Hollywood Brown due to injuries. And although we show flashes, that there's something there, you know, but probably a bit worried about his long-term production. What would you recommend for people, and I appreciate this isn't on the docker also, um, for people who drafted these rookies in their rookie drafts last year that perhaps just aren't overly excited with the prospects and, and what they can do to potentially get rid of them? What, what sort of advice would you give? Yeah, I mean, uh, with the caveat that every player is different, I think you have to always, uh, with a guy like Montgomery, I was off of him in, in rookie drafts last year because the cost that you had to pay to get him, so a top, you know, a top 
and, and non-super flex, you'd typically have to pay a top three pick was about where he was falling. Um, or he would fall in the, you know, he was definitely the top half of the round. Um, and when you look at, when you sort of look at the running backs that have historically been in that area, um, they are picks a lot earlier in the rookie draft than he was, a lot earlier in the NFL draft than he was. Uh, and so you, you get, you sort of, it was a, it was a, a bad class. And so you, but you were paying less for the, um, you know, you were paying a lot of pick for a player that should go later in a rookie draft, if that makes sense. For example, like the, um, in the top six, he, he didn't buy just draft pedigree alone. He didn't fit in the first round of a rookie draft. Um, the top three picks in terms of rookie draft picks, uh, that are running backs when they have an ADP in the top three picks of rookie draft, 17.6, well, 17.7. Um, and the, and four through six picks four through six is 41.8. And then in the back half of the round, so picks seven through 12, 69.75. So you were basically paying a top three, top four, top five rookie pick for a player that was just based on draft pedigree alone, which is a huge deal at running back. Uh, it, you're paying, you're basically buying a second round pick. And so I, I always think with those situations, you have to be careful because when you do that and you know, he, he pretty, he hit, I'm pretty sure he finished right around running back 24. So but you can't feel great about it in terms of how, in terms of how it went. Um, you know, I think with him, you, you tend to see progression in, uh, for day two running backs into uh, into year two. So you would expect uh, an improvement with that. I just I've always questioned the tape with him. Um, he's more of a profile over. Uh, he's more of a profile with his production um, player over the tape. I just have never been a fan of his tape because I just think he's not. Uh, he just lacks the athletic juice to do much with what what he does. So, um, but I, I, if you're in a situation like that or a guy like Marquise Brown, like they're they're pretty good bets on 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 their pedigree right you get marquise brown was a, was the basically the anti david montgomery he was a a first round wide receiver in the nfl draft that went in the second round of rookie drafts that's only happened like five or six times since 2008 so you he's basically the cheap outlier in terms of that so um you know he was he was actually good value so i you know i'm i'm tend to hold these guys you know if i could move up for if I could get out of Montgomery at the cost that I got in for, I'd probably take any any first round pick in the top, say eight picks at least in a draft for Montgomery. Um, but you know it, he might be a player that right now doesn't feel great, but as the summer goes on, it could the narrative could improve on on a player like him. So so here's a question on Montgomery's value for you then in in my in well in our home league dynasty, I've got the one ten, which is the it's a ten team league. Do you think it's worthwhile me flipping the 110, for instance, for Montgomery, as opposed to if there was a running back available at the 110? Uh, it's a case-by-case and class-by-class analysis. Um, I, I don't think there's probably at this point – generally what I would say is I, I don't make big deals at this point in the in the preseason because there's so much uncertainty, and I'd rather – I would rather make a decision based on more information than to trade a a player that has, I think, a decent amount of value um, for something that's unknown. And so, at I, but as I project this class, I'm a little worried about that that range uh, of getting a running back in that range. So, um, 
and you can always – I mean, I'm, I'm a big draft, the best player available type of drafter, particularly in rookie drafts, because dr- addressing need in a rookie draft is, is usually a, – it's a, it's a recipe for disaster in terms of what your, what your value is. And um, you'll see guys that, uh, you know, are day three running backs that come into, uh, you know, the, the first round of rookie drafts and – because their quote immediate situation is good. And those are always terrible bets just historically have been terrible bets. So, um, you know, drafting a player just be, just based on need, you have to be really cautious of. Um, so if I had Montgomery right now, I would probably, I would probably hold him. I wouldn't, you know, I mean, there's worse things you can do than have a running back who had some production in his rookie year. That's a day, um, to NFL draft pick, right? I mean, there's worse things in the world that can happen. So I think, I think at some point you'll be able to cash for more than you he's worth right now. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about some 2020 rookies as we just touched on the 2020 rookie draft and staying at the 10 spot because this is purely selfish now and that's where I'm (laughs) (laughs) say for instance my wide receiver core is pretty stacked and Jerry Judy's available I don't know if you've got him as your number one wide receiver but he's he's got to be up there in top two if he's there should I take him then based on best player available and hope to flip him for something more when his value increases if he if he breaks out in the NFL yeah, so I I would say I haven't done a ton of rookie work yet because I just finished off the season and I'm finishing the book. Uh, I was finishing the book, you know, as the as the season was wrapping up. So I haven't done a ton of work yet. I know he's got strong supporters, and I've seen him consistently ranked in the top two um, of different people's ranks. Um, I think generally speaking, if you if you pick the just the best player available, um, and you do it within. I lay this out a little bit in terms of how you should make these decisions in terms of it's sometimes tough to identify the best player available, but if you look at some of the guideposts that I put up, you can identify who's the best value and, and, you know, have a good idea of, of who the, you know, what the better players look like. Um, But if you get a guy like Judy, who's probably going to be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft, if you got him in the mid to late first of your rookie draft, that would seem like good value. And the best part about that is, is, if you have a need at running back, and I always say this, and people sort of look look at me quizzically. I say, if you have a a need at running back, or if you have a need at receiver, um, I think that even better at receiver. If you have a need at receiver, I think the best thing you can ever do in a rookie draft is draft a running back, because what you do is you make your team deeper. It, you'll feel better about your about your team, and the depth at running back it'll give a more variety of players to trade to acquire the position you need. So if you are particularly deep at wide receiver, you know, doubling down on a strength and taking a guy like Jerry Judy, even though you don't quote need him is fine because what you can do is then you have, you know, if he's your fifth, sixth, seventh receiver, you've got, you know, four, five, six guys in addition to him that you could then trade. And so I think you, you sort of do that, you know, doubling down on a strength, even though you won't, start him right away is is fine and i actually think that's the best way to go about building a long-term team excellent so one of your strategies is or your strategy is more based around not winning in year one essentially from a startup perspective but instead of acquiring draft picks and building a team for long-term success why why so not go for the year one win so i <sighs> I'm not sure. So in the book, I I wrote about this a lot. And what you'll see is like, I I looked at a lot of different teams in terms of 
Um, I had a sample of 25 leagues and I that had done startup drafts in 2019. And I just said, let's, I want to see what trading a first round, like trading away their pick, what it did for their likelihood to make the playoffs. Um, I just, let's just see. And so I tracked 25 different leagues. Um, and basically the, the teams that traded away a first round pick, I sort of marked as, you know, they're, they're win now teams, right? Those, those win now teams are the types of teams that they're going to trade their picks and go for it early. Um, and they made the playoffs in 57% of leagues, which seems like a relatively good number. But when you consider the fact that teams that didn't trade away their first round picks made it in 52% of leagues, like just over 52% of leagues, it only bumped up your odds of, of getting into the playoffs by less than 5%. And so I sort of, I looked at that and I said, wow, that's, that's eye-opening and alarming. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to be in that boat. I think there's a middle ground in terms of competing in year one and actually building a long-term team. Uh, and I wrote about this in the book. I call it the two way go. I think there's a way to do both, which is you can, you can accumulate future assets and, and accumulate a good young core, but at the same time, build a team that can compete in year one, just based off of some of the efficiencies in the book. So I've tried that. I didn't have much success with it. And I've gotten to a couple of playoffs doing that in 2019 as a year one build, but I didn't have, um, the team that was probably the best to do that, like I, I executed it the best, was just ransacked with injuries. And I just sort of, it was, it, I got some bad breaks, but they would have been a team that could have competed in, in year one. Um, and I just sort of, I scored a lot of, I scored more points than my record would indicate. And, um, and I just had some bad injury luck. So, um, but I think there's a two way go opportunity. And I think, I don't think people usually think of it that way. They either think I'm going to contend later, I'm going to contend now, or that I'm going to just play it straight up. I think you can do a little bit of both and, and try and have it both ways. One of the things I'm really interested in when you, you got those two strategies, right? Whether you, you go all in, I I've done that from time to time in dynasties because you don't know how long a dynasty league is really going to be around for. So um, if I feel like I've drafted well, I tend to go all in and uh, cash in those future draft picks to acquire top talent to make sure I win year one and appreciate it's quite a short-term strategy, but I like to get one on the one on the board early, which is what I tend to do all right in year one uh, drafts. But then it's also the, the other way that if it doesn't go according to plan, you've got those injuries, you tend to potentially tank and acquire those those draft picks. But what would you say is the biggest challenge to a, a dynasty? So you, you've, you've done your, your draft, you, you feel pretty good with it, and then results aren't going your way. I find that the pivot point for me is around week four. I think that's when you've got a good sense for where your team can potentially go. If it's getting to the point where you start, let's say one and three, oh and four, maybe. What what do you start doing if if that's you in that situation to start acquiring those draft picks and to start building for future years, knowing that this year just might not be your year for whatever reason? I'm not saying you should give up on the season, but just what your process is around that to make yourself a contender for future years. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I tend to find that I'll get into, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm sort of going down the I'm not going to contend route this year, I start looking at players that I think might experience a downturn in value in the next six months. 
And so whether that's a running back in his mid twenties or whether that's a, a receiver um, that's, you know, getting near 30, uh, you know, trading those types of players is, is something that I would look to do. Um, I acquire a lot of situational running backs. So um, I, you know, like backup running backs in the NFL. So, because I think there's value there in terms of your fantasy roster. So when they see starts, you know, Wayne Gallman was an example of this. If you could get a second round pick for Wayne Gallman last year, when, when Barkley went down with his ankle injury, uh, you know, that was, that was a clear profit opportunity. And so I, I do those things. Um, and in particular, when those injuries happen, um, I, I like to have those running backs available to start when I need them. But if I'm not contending, I am much more likely to just ship them and not try to hold on to them um, because I want the pick. I want the the pick value and the pick liquidity on my roster. And then it allows me to add and pick up another person. So, um, so those, that's basically what I do on a sell side on the buy side. I, you know, give me, give me all the distressed assets I can find. And so like, you know, if you could get Tyreek Hill last year, you know, in the off season for, well, third round rookie picks. I mean, that was, that was something that was easily done because people thought he was going to not never play again. And that was a good, that was a good upside bet in terms of how much it's paid off. Um, is that every situation break the way his does? Probably not. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's a good example. I mean, right now, like by a guy low, like Juju Smith-Schuster, who is a really productive wide receiver from a young age, um, was productive in college and, everything sort of went bad this year. His quarterback got injured. He got injured. The backup quarterbacks that replaced him were not good, you know, and so everything just sort of went bad. And now the shine's coming off him a little bit and it, it drops his cost. And so then I'm in. So those are the types of things that I do. So, I, you know, sell high and buy low is a, is a, you know, the cliche, but I think those are the ways you actually go about doing it. Okay. Nice. And take on, you know, if you're, I don't mind taking on upside risk either when I'm not contending. So, the difference between, you know, being, being five and eight and one and third one and 12 is, I don't care if I'm not in it. You know what I mean? It's a, so I'm much more open to, you know, taking high upside swings. And if I miss, I miss. Um, but you know, I, I am, I like taking higher upside swings, especially a running back, um, and bigger variance plays if I'm, if I'm on the outside looking in. Yeah, Absolutely. And there's going to be people now listening to this who are starting to uh, appreciate that Dynasty Leagues is a whole new level. We get people messaging all the time, oh, I've never done Dynasty, I'm interested in getting into it. Um, And people who potentially, if they've not played one of our leagues, never played Superflex before. So when you've got people who might be either playing Superflex for the first time, Dynasty for the first time, or being really brave and doing a Dynasty Superflex for the first time, what would you say are the, the top three tips that you would give to players who are going to be playing this format potentially for the first time in, in 2020? Well, by the analytics of Dynasty, that would be number one. No. Uh, <laughs> That's a fair shout. Uh, there aren't many good Dynasty books out there. So, Yeah, and it's funny because when I wrote it, you know, everyone was so enamored with for a while with writing articles. And so people became so enamored with releasing podcasts. There was sort of value in the, hey, let's do the complete opposite of both of those things and release a, a long form dynasty book. Um, so yeah, there isn't much out there in terms of that. So if you're looking, you know, and honestly, if you're looking to get into it, I would, I, I think it's valuable to people that have just started, especially you know, if, if you're going to do a super flex or something like that, the two, you know, the 
2020 editions really good but if you're brand new to it just trying to scratch the surface 2019 is i would point you there probably to start and it's not the good thing about these books is they're not you know this isn't hey here pick these players for 2020 this is strategy in terms of these are the types of players that you should look to and let's figure out who reflects the strategy so um you know that's sort of the process on it so uh, from that i would say generally speaking i like to if i'm going to get into a draft i want to identify, you know, first read the rules, really. That's super critical in terms of, you know, let's understand the scoring. Let's understand sort of what positions are going to be um, optimized, non-optimized, and those sorts of things. Knowing your starting lineups requirements is really, really important because you can do different things if you have um, le- if you have more flexibility on who you can start. So that's the first place to start. And then after that, what I would do is I typically like to look at you know, whether it's ADP or looking at some recent drafts, you know, get some data on, on what drafts have been going on and where, where certain, where players have been going and, and look at that and then identify, Hey, here's the types of players in, in this range that I like. And so for instance, if I'm doing, if I'm doing quarterback, and especially if I'm doing super flex, a uh, super flex dynasty draft, I will, I'll tend to go around like round eight or round nine. And I'll say, all right, let's build from round eight or nine back to round one with, and let's look at quarterbacks that I like in each range and then sort of put them down. And I actually write it out. Um, I know people do it on computers and stuff. I write it down that way. I force myself to be honest and I'll write down, you know, Hey, at, at, at round eight, you know, I don't know, just pick a person. Matthew Stafford might be a target player. Okay. Um, and then round seven, you know, just sort of working my way back. And then what I do with that is I'm able to sort of say, okay, at these particular checkpoints, I'm going to have these, I can do it a number of different ways, but here's the type of combination of, of quarterbacks that I'm going to put together. I mean, I think in a super flex draft, that's really important to start with quarterbacks and sort of work um, that, that eight, nine round range. That's typically where you're going to find like the last of the starting quarterbacks and then work back to the beginning of the draft. Um, At the other positions, I tend to, start at the end for running backs and then, you know, just work from round, you know, 20 or wherever the end of your draft is and just identify running backs at each, at each particular point that I'd be interested in. Um, and I, at wide receiver, I want to start early in a draft by getting the wide receivers um, that have a history of top 24 production that are preferably higher uh, draft picks in the NFL that are in their early to mid twenties. Right. So guys like Mike Evans, guys like uh, Amari Cooper, just for, just as examples last year, were really good target players for me because at their costs fit both of those things. And I thought were discounts on where they should have been going. So um, and then I sort of so I, I start er, I think you should focus early on wide receiver, late on running back quarterback. You can sort of you got to intersperse them a little bit in there and then tight end, you know, go through. And I think this year is going to be interesting at tight end because you're going to get guys like Evan Ingram and Joe who, who are going to be higher, who have a history of top 12 production, which moves the needle for future expectation of tight ends, but are sort of depressed assets a little bit at this point. And so um, I look at those guys and and they're particularly interesting to me. Uh, I think at tight end, you can do basically a couple of things. You can either take the older guys who have done it and that are cheap. Um, So last year, like Greg Olson was an example of that. Um, And now this year you can, um, an example of like a younger guy that would be, that hasn't really done it yet. That might be falling in cost is a guy like OJ Howard. So figuring all that out and I sort of put it together, I literally write out a, on a piece of paper, like a little game plan and then just start with that. And then um, I tend to, I tend to find that the more 
and I did some research on this and I wrote about it in the book, um, the more running backs you have in terms of your roster, the higher upside and the better your floor is, uh, generally speaking. So, um, you know, I t- typically at an at a equal cost. So when you have two players at an equal cost outside the top 75 picks of a startup draft, um, you should go running back over receiver. So that's, that's generally how I go about it. That's fascinating. That's a really interesting way of lo- of looking at it. I've uh, taken quite a bit out of that actually, because uh, I guess I'm sort of similar to you in the sense of, I, I guess that the worry with taking running backs high is, running backs really have a very short cycle. So you've got to be a little careful as to how much you invest. If it's a generational talent and you're trying to win early, it's fine to take a, a Barkley, a, a Kamara, uh, a CMC early, but ultimately it doesn't quite work the same. And then when you add Superflex into it, you've got Dynasty, you've got Superflex, you're getting a lot of quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, I can imagine. And I haven't seen a lot of ADP data this year. You've probably, I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot more than I have. What about in the, in this sort of format, people like Lamar Jackson and, and Patrick Mahomes, are they going in the first round um, given that their age and uh, their age and their, the high upside and their ability? Yeah, they are. Um, I haven't seen a ton of, I've seen a handful of drafts, just subscribers and friends of mine just saying, hey, here's what's going on. Um, I haven't seen a ton of ADP data out yet. Um, because it's still early for that stuff to get flowing, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, the Lamar Jackson at one Oh, you know, is quarterback one, that, that thing is certainly going on and I'm fading that. Mm. I'm, I'm totally fading that. I can't be in at that cost. And what you'll notice at the, at the quarterback position is like the tier, once you get outside, like, like the guys in the first couple of rounds, so basically the first, second, and third round of super flex drafts have been historically really good. But there's like a there's a pretty flat tier from like round three to round eight. Like it decreases a little bit, but in terms of like what you can expect, it's it's relatively flat out there, especially when you're looking at like a three year window. Um, and so I, you know, I, I'm much less likely to pay up for a quarterback at super flex. Even though you know, before I wrote the book, I would do that, and then I sort of found the book data, and I said, I'm not so sure that's the optimal strategy. No, I think that 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 definitely makes sense, and sits a lot more with where we are. And actually, I'm, I mentioned I'm obviously a Tampa Bay fan. One player who I absolutely love for um, superflex formats is is Jameis Winston. I think I took him in almost every single one of my superflex leagues, um, barring one, I think. Um, and that's because of the upside that he brings and you know, he's going to get the volume and, um, you know, if he re-signs in Tampa, what happened week, uh, 16 and 17 might be the best thing to happen to, to people like me, because he's probably dropped two rounds, mm-hmm. um, as a result of those two games and the, the 30 interceptions, because, you know, he's on 24 and 24 is, is something you could swallow. 30 is a completely different thing he's a he's a he's a meme now for 30 for 30 and people thinking i don't want a guy who's going to throw uh 30 interceptions um but actually when you look and break down each one of those interceptions trevor sycamore did a, a wonderful piece for peter uh peter report and actually he looked at that and sort of charged 16 and a half of those 30 to Jameis by looking at each single one and whether it was on the receiver whether it was on the coverage the offensive line, etc., and actually, if if he gets down to that under twenty, but keeps the yards, which is possible, if he's this is all on the proviso he stays right, um, mm-hmm. and he can get that touchdown rate up 
ever so slightly to say 35, which is more than doable. Um, if you're looking at somebody who throws for 5,000 yards, 35 touchdowns, and say 18 interceptions, he's going to be a QB2, QB3 overall, probably. I mean, and, and you could probably get him at an absolute steal. So he's someone that if he remains in Tampa next year, he's someone I'll be putting a lot of equity and investment in. Yeah, I I, I look at the way players sort of their, their career arc is and he was basically at a do or die year this year and which makes sense given you know where he was in his in his contract situation and all of those things um if basically if he didn't do it this year he was uh, on a on a bad track he, he had his prior uh cohort of players was in a pretty bad spot in terms of likelihood to do it so now he's inside the line i'm interested to see what happens with this contract i think he's going to make big money i think he probably stays which i think is probably the best for him maybe they tag him um you know just to see if we can get a, they can get another year out of uh you know just to confirm what he is but um you know i think i think he's uh he's a little bit riskier for me in a super flex format. Cause I think you want to be really safe at quarterback. And, um, I just, I, he's not, I've never been enamored with him because I think he makes bad decisions both on and off the field. And so I just, I've always been a little concerned about him, uh, from in super flex just because of, uh, he's, a, he's more risk than I love. I, I, and I, I totally, uh, appreciate and, and understand that. Um, I, I, I think he's going to be, if he resigns and gets that contract, which I, th- I think he will get, is I think he will be the subject of many, many hundreds of articles this this fantasy off season <laughs> because he's going to polarize everybody. Um, I think there's a lot of players uh, like that, I th- but he's one I think is going to get a lot of attention uh, based on some of the things that we've talked about. But let's focus a little bit on the strategy then for for this year. In terms of, we appreciate it's senior ball week and we've got, you know, players that are just starting to get considered for a combine and, you know, we're just starting to get an idea of, of who's declared and um, and who might stand out this week at senior ball. We've got the Shrine game, et cetera. What are some of the players, who are some of the early rookies that you're really looking at at this stage and appreciate it's really, really early for, for 2020? Yeah, it's funny because I was actually uh... – I was actually at Starbucks today um, just sitting down, putting together all my rookie board stuff. So, um, you know, just my research stuff. Um, I think, I think the interesting thing is that this has been widely billed as a really good running back class. And then in the past you know, two weeks, you basically Travis Etienne, the running back from Clemson has gone back to school. Um, Najee Harris, the running back from Alabama has gone back to school and Chuba Hubbard, the running back from Oklahoma state is going back to school. And so I think you're, you're seeing a little of the luster come off the class in terms of it was just going to be really deep with, with running backs. And when the, when those classes happen, they tend to be re- pretty lucrative uh, for rookie picks. So I'm interested more now to see how that, that second tier running backs falls off. I think, I think right now you're looking at guys like DeAndre Swift, JK Dobbins, um, Cam Akers uh, at the, at, up at the top of the running back class with um, at DeAndre. Yeah. I missed, I think I missed somebody. Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. Yes. I missed uh, I was, I was thinking about not saying Travis Etienne and I forgot. <laughs> 
Jonathan Taylor's name. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, those guys, I think acres is probably like the fourth of those guys right now, if I had to sort of peg it. Um, but you know, he's going to be an interesting pivot point player, I think in this draft. Um, what'll be really interesting is, is the receiver pedigree. Uh, I think you're going to see, I mean, I've been tracking some of these mock drafts and there's some aggregator websites out there that do a good job of projecting, uh, where, uh, you know, where players are going to go in the draft. And I think you, you, we're going to continue to see a lot of receivers projected to be high in the draft. So if we see five, six, seven wide receivers in the first round of the NFL draft, I think that's going to, that's probably going to create some value at the running back position. Um, if I'm looking for, uh, you know, in, in a super flex draft, uh, there's, you know, Burrow and Tua at the top, presuming Tua is healthy. Uh, you know, that those are going to be two options in the early first, early part of the first round. Uh, and then, you know, guys like uh, Herbert, the kid out of Oregon, who's at the Senior Bowl this week, and um, Jordan Love is another one. He's at the Senior Bowl. Jalen Hurts, uh, those guys are all down at the Senior Bowl. Um, looking at seeing how that next tier, along with um, Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason, see how all those guys sort of pan out. And um, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting super flex rookie draft this year with uh, so many of those guys. I'm not sure there's going to be a clear cut option in terms of how the market looks at them, but there's going to be, I mean, there's a possibility. You just look at the top 10 of the draft. There's a possibility that, you know, four or five teams could be interested in a quarterback that early. And what does that sort of do to, you know, is it, is that create uh, an opportunity for one of these guys we're not really talking about to go that high. So I think it's a really intriguing point this part, this far out of the draft. And then, why don't we flip that? Is there anyone 2020 rookie wise that you have seen play at college and think I'm not in on them coming into the NFL if people are possibly too keen on them? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't paid a ton of attention to what, what the market is in, in terms of cost of players, but I think some of the guys at the senior bowl this week, um, yeah, just to highlight that because that's going on a guy like, you know, Benjamin, I am not a particularly big fan of, um, and I think he has some supporters in the dynasty community. Darius Anderson at a TCU had a pretty bad way in today. Um, you know, I'm not into him. Well, Michael Pierre a bigger name out of Florida. I just wasn't enamored with him. I think he's a little bit lackluster, although he has some receiving pedigree. I'm just not sure how, how strong of a, of a profile he, he represents. So some of those guys um, I'm interested too, in some of the, how the receivers measure in terms of size. Um, I know Judy is, is commonly projected to be on the smaller side. Um, Henry Ruggs as well is a little bit smaller um, and is, is going to be a big time athlete, but has uh, some lacking production. So when you see those things, they represent different risk profiles, um, how they sort of measure out. A guy like Justin Jefferson, I liked on tape, uh, um, but I, I wonder if what his size is. So a lot of these guys, it's, it's, you know, their profiles are largely complete in terms of production, but now you need to see them fill out in terms of our, what type of athletes are they and, and how big are they? And, you know, looking at those things, um, I think is, is going to be a key spot. So I don't have anyone I'm super fading right now. Um, I do think that if people are going to take Joe Burrow at one-on-one in super flex drafts, that's not something that I would do. Um, but that'd be the general, that'd just be the general thought. Absolutely. Well, Perron is actually someone I know quite well. I, uh, um, watch a lot of Florida ball. I, um, you know, represent as a Florida Gator here. Um, and he's someone I think will have a role, but he's not someone I'd be actively looking to pick up, um, in rookie. Maybe he's sort of a late round flyer, um, because he's never, he's not gonna be a bell cow back. He's going to be a, a one B back, um, by whoever picks him up. 
So he's never really had a full workload, but he does catch. Uh, he does catch balls. He's got a decent receiving pedigree. I mean, he, he had five receiving touchdowns this year. Um, but again, I think the, the biggest thing is he's never carried the ball more than 136 times in a season. Um, and he's pretty consistent with those touches. So I think he's someone that comes in as uh, almost like a, not a gadget back, but I think he's going to be in a 1B situation. So it, for him, it would be all dependent where he lands. If he lands in, say, if he's the 1B to Miles Sanders, he might struggle given the, what Sanders' uh, skill set and ability is. But if he lands as the 1B to, say, Devin Singletree in Buffalo, that's actually something I think he could be somewhat worth monitoring because uh, Singletree's you know, very dynamic and will get the majority of the carries, but we do know he doesn't carry the full workload. So he, that could be a situation that works reasonably well. But it will all be on his landing spot. But he, he has the talent. I think he could be a reasonable success in the NFL. He's just not going to be a guy who's going to pound the line of scrimmage and get 300 touches a year. Yeah, I'm with you on that. What... um. Quickly on, on receivers, what about LaVisca Shaynell? What do you think? What, what's your opinion on him? Uh, I haven't seen him yet, and I haven't really studied him. Um, I have – let me just see if I can pull up the, some of the metrics really quick just to give you a brief take on him. Um, he is um, – he was pretty productive, um, and, you know, he's – I just um, – I, I think there's going to be a lot to like. I just need to dive in a little bit more on him. So um, I am generally speaking, I'm pretty selective at the receivers that I take. So I, um, you know, when you get guys that are day two picks, for example, so round two and round three of the NFL draft, uh, they, you should be pretty skeptical on them being fantasy options. You know, you're looking at less than a third of them um, in total and the different rounds break up a little bit differently in terms of the hit rate, but you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, be on a lot of those guys because historically the rate on them hitting is pretty low. So, um, you know, his pedigree will be a big part of, of where he is. If he's going to be a day two pick, I'm going to think about him a little bit differently than if he's a, a mid to late first round pick. Perfect. Jordan, I've got one final question and that is, would you like to come back later in on in the off season and help us do a rookie draft episode? I'd love to do that. Yeah, totally. Let's uh, let me get breaking down this class a little bit more. Let's get past the combine and let's do that. That'd be fun. Perfect. Cannot wait for that. Right, Jordan, why don't you let Rush Nation know where they can find you all over the internet? More importantly, where they can buy the book. And uh, although we've given some great reasons, give give the 30-second elevator pitch as to if they haven't already got it out of this episode, why they should go and buy go and buy the book like we're going to buy it when it comes out. Yeah, so the book's out. You can get it now, analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. The 2020 edition talks a lot about the stuff that we've talked about, and the 2019 edition is more of the primer, the overview. You can get them both for 50 bucks at analyticsofdynasty.com. You can follow me on Twitter at McNamara Dynasty. And I also, um, because I'm not in the writing phase, I've figured I needed um, an excuse to tell my wife that I needed to go work on fantasy football. So I opened up a Patreon uh, channel to do audio stuff, uh, releasing a lot of podcasts. It's a lot of topical stuff on the book and um, some more strategy stuff, uh, deeper strategy stuff in terms of um, just audio content. So you can find that at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. Um, I have a group me chat that uh, is constantly going on with, uh, with subscribers. We get in there and talk about drafts and strategy and those sorts of things. So you can find that at Patreon. Th- dot com slash analytics to dynasty awesome stuff well jordan thank you so much for coming on really appreciate your time buddy and we will definitely have you back on in the off season that sounds good guys i'd love to be back 
Wicked. Right, Murph, I'll catch you later on in the week. This has been Epic Jordan. Speak to you in the off-season. But as always, Rush Nation, don't forget to keep rushing. entitled to sexual health just as much as physical and mental health we want to make it easier for folks to find resources however they engage with us there's no wrong door so it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming talking about what their sex life is about their concerns and to make sure they're healthy do it for them do it for you montgomery county your sexual health matters visit doitforyoumc.org Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.